Podcast episode 104. Excited for our guest today, Mark Unetti, director of amateur scouting for the LA Kings, but even more excited to bring this guy in, Dennis Bernstein. DB, what's going on? 104, Jay. We blew through the triple figures, and uh, I'm setting aside, I think, two hours for your discussion with uh, uh, with Unetti. I think that's the over-under right now, but uh, we'll see how it works out with you and uh, Mark. Well, I hope we hit the over, because like we like to say <laughs> around here on Kings of the Podcast, uh, more of them and less yes. of us is always a good thing, but... <laughs> Uh, Dennis, we are coming to everybody today live from the Stephen King studio, and I will tell you in advance, it's not the Stephen King that you're probably thinking of, which uh, would be the you know horror film guy. Mm-hmm. I, it's actually Stephen King, the hockey player. Does that name ring any bells for you, Dennis? No, the only Stephen King I know is the one you just mentioned, so I have no clue on this one who Stephen King is. All right, so I mention this because our guest today, Mark Unetti, uh, he played college hockey at Brown University, and Stephen King played hockey at Brown University. In fact, they were teammates in the 90-91 season, and L.A. Kings fans or even hockey fans in Southern California might remember the inaugural Anaheim Mighty Ducks, 93-94, to had a player on that team. His name was Stephen King. It's he of the same uh, teammate that I just mentioned there. So Mark Unetti's teammate, Stephen King, left Brown, played a couple years in the American Hockey League. He was actually drafted by the New York Rangers in 1991, uh, but then he ended up playing one year with the Rangers and then ended up with the Ducks. He got into 36 games, Dennis, and he scored eight goals uh, there in the 93-94 season for Anaheim. He stuck around for only seven games the following year, and then uh, after that it was uh, AHL and IHL for uh, for the rest of his career. But Stephen King, I do remember at that time, Dennis, it was rather funny. You had a guy on the Mighty Ducks with the last name of King. It was funny, and some Kings fans probably will remember that. And it was Mark Unetti's teammate. Absolutely. That's that's a great find, Jay. Let's get to the episode. Well, there are, you know, it's, you have to dig deep into there, DB, because there aren't a lot of uh, no. people that came out of Brown University that at least have yeah. been. There were four that have been drafted by the L.A. Kings. And, I didn't know uh, Yank so was an, an Ivy Leaguer. Four guys with yeah. the last name Brown. Yeah, I, I didn't know that Brown. That's right, Brown. And Brown. I didn't know Yank was an Ivy Leaguer. Wow. I'm not even more impressed. I, I didn't know that. He He is. Wow. Will he let you know that he's an Ivy oh, Leaguer? Mark Unetti's a pretty smart guy. I try. To, no, he would never. He would never. Uh, you would not know that. Um, I've often joked, and I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but I've often joked. I think his favorite word is the F word. Yeah. Oh, totally. And uh, you know, it's funny because some people have a problem with swearing, Dennis, and I always find. 
that the more intelligent people are, it seems like they like to use the F word more than other people. I don't know. I don't know why, what the connection is there, but uh, swearing doesn't bother me. It's just, it's life. It's, it doesn't, it's, it's, not, it's words, emphasis, right? John. My parents right? taught me sticks and stones will break my bones. Right? It's yeah. emphasis. It gets your attention. Yeah. That's all it is. It's your, this effing guy, you know, let's go. <laughs> LFG, John. Let's well, go. That's the great thing about the F word. You can use it. You can use it in any sentence, and you can use it as any yes. type of a word, right? It can be a, yes. an adjective, a verb. It can be anything. Noun. It's good for it's good for all uses. Okay. But hey, real quickly before we uh, before yeah, sure before we move on uh, and get to get to Yanetti, because we do want to cut the first period short today sure. and try to hit that over of two yeah. hours, Dennis, uh, <laughs> with Yank. But I do just want to mention: not only did Mark play for or play at Brown University, but uh, you've probably seen some of the pictures I've uh, tweeted yes. at, at different times. He played in the CHL for the San Antonio Iguanas. Uh, he also played uh, for the Columbus Chill, which I those are some fantastic <laughs> pictures of him with the the Yager esque uh, flow that's going on there. But Dennis, he he did play for in the UHL. For the Mohawk Valley Prowlers, a team that I have to admit I've never heard of, Dennis. But I have been on the prowl, pun intended, for a photo <laughs> of Yanetti playing for the Mohawk Valley Prowlers, as well as a photo of his college days at Brown University. And those are tough to come by. There was, uh, or there is, somewhere out there, um, there, is a, there are two Mark Yanetti hockey cards that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. One of them is from the CHL San, uh, San Antonio Iguanas. I actually have one of those. Not a big memorabilia honk, but certain things are worth having. I did have our friend Brian Slegel check, and he does not have a, a Yanetti game-issued San Antonio <laughs> Iguanas jersey. So if there's somebody out there with one of those, I've been looking for that. But I, I am looking for a Mohawk Valley Prowlers I just want to see a photo of what Yanetti looked like playing for that team. Mm-hmm. So um, if you, uh, if anybody's listening and they know how to do the deep dive on the underbelly of the internet and find <laughs> these things that are out there somewhere, there has to be a picture of Yank playing for the Mohawk Valley prowlers and, or a picture of him playing at Brown university. Um, find that. And we'll give you full credit. Who knows, Dennis, we'll send him a KOTP t-shirt or something like that. But that. Uh, yeah. more importantly, Dennis, a free mug. There you go. There you go. We'll send him a mug. Uh, one for each photo. Uh, there was a little bit of breaking news as we get into the really the end of summer, Dennis. It looked like it was going to be uh, a slow week this week. But earlier today, I, I was able to break the news that development yeah. camp uh, might have a new name, but it's around the corner, probably the week around August 23rd and uh, even posted seven invitees that I was able to dig up that could be attending. So this is going to be fun. And Dennis, if you think about it with the pandemic last year, the Kings really haven't had development camp in two years. So some of these kids, yeah. this is going to be their first time in Los Angeles. I think about like a Brock Faber. He's been sure. part of the Kings organization forever, it feels like. But uh, he's going to be coming to L.A. But didn't he get injured in the showcase, though? Is he going to be healthy enough to play? Well, you might be. Uh, you might have some more news than I did, Dennis. I've been so busy. I yeah. have not kept up with yeah. that. I, I was not aware yeah. of it. He was injured he was in the showcase. He was injured in the showcase. So, really? Yeah. So you can, you can dig tomorrow and see what kind of uh, – I mean, hopefully it doesn't affect it. We're talking in a couple of weeks. Hopefully he'll be on the men. But I don't think he completed it. I was reading um, – who's the uh, – Chris – oh, what's the guy's name? Chris Peters. Yeah, Chris Peters. Had Chris a, Peters. Had a, I, I subscribed to his Hockey Sense newsletter, and on there he had an analysis. I'll actually forward you the uh, analysis, uh, the email, uh, when we're done recording here. And he he, he did not finish the uh, the series. Uh, due to injury, I'm not sure what the it didn't it didn't say in there what the injury was, but it, that may be uh, something that you can dig in on tomorrow. 
Ah, well, I've been I've been too busy booking future guests and uh, writing articles exactly. that that one slipped by me. Yeah. So shame on me. I feel shame. I'm going to the box for five. No, minutes no Sunday. shame. It's not this two is minutes. a team. That's, team uh, effort. Picking you up, man. Let's that's go. That's in my. That's in. That's. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's in my wheelhouse. I'm supposed to know those things. But uh, there are some other kids. Andre Lee, who was very yeah. impressive. Uh, he was a seventh round pick from the Kings, but one of my favorite prospects at camp a couple years ago. Big kid, six four, six five. We had him on the show. You remember he was born in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot of fun he on was. the program. Soft hands around the net. He's going to be coming in. Uh, and you have a lot of the other prospects, too. You have uh, Tyler Madden, and you have, from what I understand, Kaliev and Turcotte, and a lot of the guys will be there. So the big news everyone keeps asking, Dennis, uh, and I, unfortunately, I don't run TSPC, so I can't give anybody an official answer, but people keep asking, will fans right. be allowed in the building? I do know that TSPC is open right now. Fans are there or parents are mm-hmm. there taking their kids to hockey camps and whatnot. So we will have to wait for the official word from the L.A. Kings organization uh about whether fans will be allowed in but man that would be a nice little pop for uh for the end of summer there for for hockey fans if they're able to go to development camp and see some of these kids up close and personal and for us john we haven't been in the building for a very long time as well i would welcome to be able to go in and see some live hockey at tpsc so yeah i'm looking forward to that. and hopefully look i would think worst case scenario john is you know, maybe you have to show vaccination and wear a mask something like that since it's indoors so, but hopefully um uh, we have to get back in the swing of things with respect to getting back in the building and watch these kids play. So hopefully uh, everybody will have access in a couple of weeks. Yes. Yeah, so uh, dig up the directions again. I don't even know where the place is located. <laughs> I just know it's near LAX somewhere. I'm, I'm joking, of course. It's 555 Nash Street. I don't even know why I remember that, Dennis. It's a very Rain Man moment of mine. But, uh, yeah, that's that's the, the training facility. So get down there. We'll, we'll have a roster preview up uh, a little bit later on. But, Dennis, uh, you, I wasn't the only one off writing and doing stuff. You uh, you put up your uh, – is it end of season? Yeah, is it it's summer? It's, it's what, end of – Wrap up? Yeah. What, 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 how would you title the I article? would say, well, it's L.A. summer. So, basically, it's called Eye of the Behold. And I just, you know, take a deep dive into uh, the acquisitions, what it means going forward and things of that nature. So uh, and it's called the eye of the beholder because it's up to, you know, everybody's going to have a different opinion, John. And I, I really can't form an opinion. I, I think like you, I think it's a wait and see attitude of what this team looks like in camp and who's going to be paired with with who. And and I, I, I certainly I think that the teams improve. You put some established players on the ice. So and the Dano thing is, is was very intriguing. But, yeah, it's just a, about a 2000 word summary of what happened and what I think may happen going forward. Okay. So is this, is this your extended retort to the uh, guy on Twitter over the weekend? I only caught part of it, but you were going back and oh. forth with somebody about, I think it was a Canadian yes, fan yes. who was taking exception to your opinion. Yeah, I, and you were indulging him far longer than yeah, I, I, I did. So, I, you so know what? It was, but it was, is this your, is this your 2000? It's not, it's not a response <laughs> to him. It, it's, it, it was, it, it was totally on a, a separate okay. track, but at that, you know, John, at some point, the mute button had to come out because that guy was like sold that Dano's a bum and he's going to score 20 points as the 2C and he's not a 2C, the 3C. And I'm like, please, context. Like, you don't know enough. I, I think the problem was, John, is the guy doesn't know enough about L.A. and the roster here and, and where everybody stands with respect to the boxes and things of that nature. So while I, I get the the critique of some Canadian fans who really don't like him, there are others that say that we're really going to miss him. We have two young centers so I think that, you know, Phil's going to come in, he's going to come in as a 2C, and we'll see, John. I mean, who knows? Like, but, you know, when you make a pretty substantial bet on that player, you got to think he's going to come in and be a productive player. Is he a 30-goal scorer? No. Can he help facilitate? Yep. Would he get time on the power play? Probably. Would he get that 50 or 55 points they need at the 2C? I think so. I think that's what they're, they're betting on. So I think it's a, it's a smart pick because, John, bottom line, 
He's a really good defensive player, and he plays at pace. So he doesn't get if he gets to forty, right. but he improves right. the team. Like let's go. So yeah, it was. You're right, John. And you've been trapped in that sticky web as well, where you just go on too long and like just you just try to make a point, and after seven you know responses, you just you know just tune out. Yeah, I think that the thing that is lost on a lot of people, Dennis, is that the the game and the end game that a general manager and a coach, to a lesser extent, are playing, it only boils down to one number, wins. Right. That's it. And a lot of these people that try to critique these deals and whatnot, they look at it from a fantasy perspective. You, yeah, if you play <laughs> fantasy hockey or Xbox or whatever, right, and you don't think that uh, Philippe Deneau is uh, you know, worthy of being on your team, that's fine, but that's for your fantasy hockey team. Right. That's not what the L.A. Kings are trying to do. And I think back to those New Jersey Devil teams that won all those Stanley Cups. They, they did not score a lot of goals, and they didn't have a lot of players that were on fantasy hockey right. teams at the time. But, boy, they sure did collect a lot of Stanley Cups. And I'm not suggesting no. that the Kings are Stanley Cup Correct. contenders this year. I'm just saying that there are other ways to go about getting that key number, getting your yeah. wins up. There are other ways to go about it than going out and signing or trading for 30 goal scores. Right. And I think that's what the Kings are trying to accomplish right now. They're trying to increase their win total, Dennis. And if they increase their win total and if they end up in the playoffs at the end of the, the upcoming season, then the signing was a solid signing, sure. regardless of how many points he puts. Yeah, I, I think the, the one ceiling point was right, so like, enough about yeah, that. Just, just one final point. John. The point was made like, well, they're going to re regret yeah, sure. this contract in years four, five, and six. I'm like, how do you know what's going to happen in 2025 today? Are you Nostradamus, <laughs> really? Like, you're talking to me that they, they, they might regret it four years from now? Like, come on. Like, we're talking about – John, it's about next season winning games. And, John, I think you agree with me, a legit shot at the three seed. I think it's wide open at this point in time. So when these people talk to me about years four, five, and six, nobody signs a deal thinking, all right, we've got to now analyze how this player is going to fit in in 2025. It's just, it, 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 at that point, it just Last deteriorates. Minute of play yeah. they, in the the Kings do have a roadmap of where he slots in in years four, five, and six. It's not at the 2C. It's at, it is at the 3C because they expect somebody else, right. whether it's Byfield, Velarde, Turcotte, et cetera, to jump up and become the 2C. Hell, even become the 1C and maybe Kopitar sure. slides down to the 2C. But right now, Oh, you're right, Dennis. It's all about year one of the deal. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, the I'm not worried about the Kings regretting this deal in year four, five, and six. I'm worried about the fact that I regret reading these tweets right now. That's what I'm worried about. Uh, more in the real time, 2021. Those are some Those are some breaking regrets right now. Those, it's not about future regrets. Uh, so uh, this is, speaking of deteriorating, Dennis, this thing is deteriorating. Let's quickly get out of here. Sure. On the other side of the break, we have Mark Yanetti. We'll bring him in. We have... Uh, you know, a lot to talk about with Yank, and hopefully he can enlighten us on what happened with the L.A. Kings at the draft table and everything that went down when they brought in Brant Clark, who we had on the show recently, um, as well as Francisco and, and a whole bunch of, well, not a whole bunch. They only had four draft picks total, but uh, let's break it all down with Mark Yanetti after the break. We'll be back in just a second. It's one accomplishment that you helped me with The one thing that always tore us apart Is the one thing I won't touch again In my sick way I wanna think 
Welcome back, Kings of the Podcast, second period. We are joined now by, well, I have often said, the smartest man in hockey. Of course, I'm talking about LA Kings Director of Amateur Scouting, Mark Yanetti. Yank, welcome to the program. Thanks. I should say welcome back to the program. We had you on once before. Uh, it, was, it seems like it was right after the 2020 draft, so it's only appropriate that we have you back on now. My first question out of the gate is, you almost seem giddy over the last couple of days uh, after, the, after the draft was over. I just I don't recall seeing you this happy and smiling all the time. It, it, am I reading it right? Are you giddy right now? Uh, giddy might be a strong word, but no, it's... Uh... I'm really happy with, uh, really pleased with how we uh, how we did the draft, with, how, with the plan we came up with. It, it, it's something we've been trying to do for about two or three years, uh, and, and we've never been able to, to to enact it. You know, we never even got out of the gate sometimes. So, uh, yeah, no, giddy's, giddy's, I don't know that I've ever been giddy in my <laughs> life, but, but I'm certainly pleased. Oh, come on now. When you were playing for the Columbus Chill, you weren't giddy back then? I was giddy when I got traded from uh, Johnstown anywhere. So maybe <laughs> maybe I was giddy when maybe once in my life when I got out of jail in Johnstown for the Chiefs. Actually, they're not a team anymore, so I guess I can say that now. Okay, all right. Well, for the second time, you, you, you came close to being giddy for the second time. Um, there we go. It, it is interesting, though, that you are somebody who, at least from my understanding, you've been interested in either moving up in the draft or moving down in the draft. And you, you kind of made a comment in passing the other day following uh, the completion of draft weekend about the, there were opportunities for you to move up in the draft and you ended up not doing it. Can you just walk us through that a little bit more? Why, if the opportunity finally presented itself to move up in round one, would you have passed on that? I know, huh? I've been begging Dean to move up. I've been begging Rob to do it. <laughs> finally get my chance, and we don't do it. Um, Be careful yeah, what you wish for, Yank. That's really what it boils down I know, to, right? Huh? I finally got I, all, everything. I, you know, I, I got everything I wished for. We had How, how about this? We had not one, but two opportunities to move up in the first round. Yeah, uh, well, from eight, not in the first round, but we had two opportunities to move up from eight, and uh, uh, we passed on both of them. So, uh, um, yeah, I, careful what you wish for. I, I finally got it, and I, I, I literally had to bite my tongue and say, you know, when, when we're discussing it, say no, it's uh, it's not the right play. It, it doesn't uh, it doesn't fit the uh, it doesn't fit the projections of the model to move up uh, at either case. Yeah. I think that just speaks to to your hard work and your conviction as well, right? It's like the emotional part of it would have been it just would, it would have been easy to do it just to do it because you've always wanted to do it, but you you were methodical, you thought it through, and you decided no, this isn't the right thing to do, and that was the recommendation. Yeah, it's the key. It's the key is having a a, a well thought out you know a plan, projection, uh, methodology, whatever whatever you want to say. We had like very detailed. Um, well, you know, give metrics, you know, if you want to use an analytic term of what to move, what the cost would be, what we're willing to pay. And then, you know, factor in who's available. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we did, we, we took, we we're able to take the emotion out of it, which is not easy to do because um, the first one was easy. The first one was easy to go by. The second one, um, I mean, sorry, the second one was easy to go by. The first one was a little harder. When you say easy to go by, easy because the cost was just too much and, and you didn't want to part with that much to move up? No, actually the cost was the cost was the cost in the, the, the cost was different. The cost would have been a second round for one of them and it would have been a third round for another, mm -hmm. uh, without getting into the specifics of who it was. So 
the cost was fixed. We already knew what the cost would be. Um, we already knew what the cost would be beforehand. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were already dealing with a, a fixed cost for either one of the moves. It, it, it simply had to do with the, uh, with the tiers, uh, available and the, you know, you, 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 you don't want to move up or back, um, without guaranteeing yourself, um, a certain player. And similarly, you don't want to move up, um, if you have a guarantee of getting that player back, you know, um, so we, we broke things, you know, we break things down into tiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, we do rank the players in the tiers, but if they're in the tier, they're, you know, they're in the same tier They're You know, it's, it's not quite separating them, you know, one, two, three, four. They're, they're so close that you can almost use any, it, it gives you some flexibility. It all, it allows you to, it allows you to, value the draft spot and it gives you some flexibility in who to pick as well um, because they're all interchangeable if we say they're in a tier even though one player might be slightly slightly ahead so um, by value of the draft spot you would never move up um, you would never move up to get a guy that you could get in that tier mm-hmm. and you're not allowed the, the tier prevents you from saying well you only want a specific guy mm-hmm. if, if, if the guy's that important or if he's that much better he's, he isn't in the tier right, right. so that's where it's the emotion gets taken out of it that way because every scout in our staff, in one of the tiers, every one of the guys in our staff had a different guy once. Um, so there were multiple guys that had player A at one, player B at one, and player C at one, mm-hmm. which tells you they're in the right tier, right? It tells you that, you know, um, so if uh, the emotion gets into it, even though they're in a tier, there's one guy who might want them or, you know, it prevents us from, from being emotional. Now, I didn't have this on my list, but uh, that's interesting that everybody had sort of a different player within that tier of three or four players, because if I remember correctly, last year in the whole uh, Byfield-Stutzel debate, if I remember correctly, it was unanimous. It was like across the board. There might have been one dissenting vote, but it was unanimous, if I remember correctly, that it was Byfield was going to be or was the pick to separate the players within the tier. Is that right? Yes, it was, but there were other things that went on. With, with I mean, Again, once the player's in a tier... Um, you can use different reasons to, to, you know, you can use different reasons to have one player ahead of the other in the tier. Mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously, you have to have one ahead of the other. You can't have a tier and just have ten guys across you, you know, <laughs> in, in, a, in a horizontal line across the board. Um, so there is one player always will be ahead of another player, and depending on how big the tier is, all the way down the line. Yeah. Um, but based on how we think you need to build the team, based on how you know. Uh, you, 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 it went, it went 12, 10, 10, 20 things deep. You know, you know, how do we need to build the team? Um, supply and demand, like you know, you know, as good as Stutzel is, um, you can find like, like listen, you could have Tanner in last year, you could have Tarasenko this year. Each year, and this doesn't diminish Stutzel because he's an elite player, and we recognize him as an elite player. But you can find a Stutzel-like player. Find a buy field that's been traded or open for free agency. You know, find how many there were been in the last five years, ten years, twenty years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just there. There were so many different metrics, so many different reasons, and, and 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 other kinds of evaluations that went into that. That buy field became the obvious pick in a razor thin, uh, in a razor thin grouping, in a razor thin tier. 
All right. So a lot to get to today. The whole team obviously gets credit. You put in a lot of the work. I, you know, I said earlier, you're the smartest guy in hockey, but I do want to give some love to some of the other guys that put efforts in here. So talk a little bit just about Rutu, uh, Gasparini, Chris Byrne, just the impact that they had on this overall draft class, whether it be individual picks or just in general, having them, uh, you, you know, as part of the team. No, it was, it, again, it, it, it it was a, it was, you know, again, everybody says this, you know, like NASCAR pit. I want to thank my Penske engine and my Michelin tires and what, you know, you know, and again, it becomes cliched almost. Um, and, and it's unfortunate because, you know, you guys, like, like the, everybody other than the people in the room get to see that Grant Clark was the selection, but they don't get to see the work that went into the, the tier. They don't get to see the work that went into the fight. Like, like, and don't forget, they're watching, you know, like Tony and Teddy. And Chris Byrne and, and, and Rutu are watching their own area guys, but also the other area guys. And they have to be the hardest thing in the world is to have an open mind, is to have a, a you know, we call it fixed mind and growth mind, right? Like to be flexible. Like it's really, really hard to do in scouting uh, because you know what you've seen. And, and now you've got to come in there and you've got to, you've got to suspend that for a bit because, uh, as I said, when I said everybody in the staff had a different guy there, that, no, there weren't 10 guys in this year. Um, but, there were multiple guys that had different guys slightly ahead. And what happens is, you know, Chris Byrne and Rutu have to be able to debate and get the right order, not necessarily what they thought going in. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to do, myself included. You know, don't forget, I got a pretty big say there too, but you'd be surprised at how many times um, – going into an evaluation whether it's a group of players or what um that a scout can make a, a convincing argument whether it's through uh his reports his is you know just speaking about it his evaluation his video work the the the, the metrics we use the analytics we use like th- there's a whole lot of things that can go into it and you know it's 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 not hard for a guy to for a guy on our staff to um I hate to use the word win, but, but to convince others uh, that their initial assessment um, is different than, 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 the, than, than the outcome. So mm. you, know, you should have seen the work on, on, the work on this was crazy. I mean, you know, it was, it was so easy to do work on. As I said, there, were, there were a couple players last year. Obviously, everybody speaks about Stutzel and Byfield. Um, there, there were two other players in that discussion for us. But um, this year, you know, this year you're looking at you're looking at for all intents and purposes, you're looking at uh, eight eight players this year because mm-hmm. you never know who's going to you know you don't know who's going to be picked. Uh, you know, at, at two it's real easy. You know, we knew who's going to be there. We we pick it. But at four it opens it up, and then at eight it opens it up. So we had to have that list tight, um, really from pick from pick three for us from pick three to. Uh, uh, from pick three to eight. I mean, we, we were relative, say relatively short. Uh, we were 100% certain who was going one and who was going two. Um, so we were 100% certain. So our list really began at three. Sure. Um, we'll get into all the list and a little bit more later, but I, I am curious. You were, from what I understand, you were here in Los Angeles uh, for about 10 days or so, get, you know, in the Double lead up. It. What's that? Double that. Okay, for 20 days in the lead up there to the go. draft. There, okay, so what I'm really curious about, though, is, you know, how happy are you now to be back on the Yanetti compound, uh, you know, back in <laughs> back back east? I know. Someone, I hate 
I hate traveling. I hate being away from my house. It's amazing I ended up with this job. You could put an ankle bracelet on me and not let me go 25 miles from my house the rest of my life, and I'd be happy. So it was family cookout last night. And, um, I've done. I haven't. I haven't gone more than 20 uh, 20 feet off my property since I got home. So. I believe it. Now, you mentioned the cookout. I am curious because actually the next question on my list has to do with, I, I was getting some intel on you uh, recently. Oh. And yeah, uh, what's this about you liking baby burgers? Now, when someone said this to me, oh, baby really? burgers, I said, like, you mean like sliders? I thought there might have been a translation issue, but no, it's not about a slider. You are very simplistic. Bun, meat, bun. That's it, Yank? My life is my life is unbelievably simplistic. It, <laughs> I would say so. It, it's very no, it is. It's so plain. Like if Rain Man had slightly more personality, I mean, I got my routine. You know, walking her at five. Like, like, like it is. It's sad to say, but my, my day at home is is so is so simple. Every day is like Groundhog Day. And and by the way, the baby burger is the worst disguised chirp in the world. Because only one guy on the staff uses that. So so. I know exactly who said it, and you know he may be over in Finland right now, but I know exactly the person who uh, who says you know he does. Whenever the waitress comes over, he wants the kids menu for him. Well, it's it's still funny. Um, but here's the, here's the thing, though. True. What's the deal with no vegetables? Because look, you and I have ended up at the same hotel room, uh, not the hotel room, the same hotel before. <laughs> yeah, let's let's clarify that. Uh, the same hotel before during events like World Juniors or whatever. And, yep. You know, you're always seen coming out of the gym. You're dripping sweat. You know, you're the health nut. You're the healthy guy, but you don't eat vegetables. See, Dean, Dean said this to me one time too. He's like. I don't understand the way you eat, the way you eat, you know, all you are is about health. You know, you're working out, you, you're all conscious about health. I'm not conscious about health in a little bit. I work out so that I, A, because I'm obsessive compulsive. And if I don't, I lose stuff. And B, so I can eat whatever I want, okay. you know, whether it's plain or whatever. But by no means am I, you know, by, uh, you know, preaching a healthy, uh, my lifestyle is what it is. And I work out so I can do what I want. And because it's an obsession. Okay. All right. Well, if I ever run into you uh, at a restaurant, I will not ask the waiter to send over a plate of vegetables to your table. Don't worry. Then we. No, I appreciate that. Would be a would be a waste of money. Um. One more question. One more last uh, fun question before we get into the the, the good stuff. Uh. I, I heard reports that the tech guys, the IT department at Toyota Sports Center, was not too pleased with you. Apparently, you tried to hack into the network over there so that you could stream UFC one night. Uh. You know what? That actually is mostly true um <laughs> we uh well the no as i said i mean i got my routines i like to watch the ufc i like to watch it on, on saturday nights i like i like you know i like the tuesday night ultimate fighter I, so uh bernie chris Byrne was in the room with me and uh and mike and mike donley was there actually because he was doing some development stuff so uh we went until about eight o'clock uh and then the, the reward was uh, as soon as, you know, because we're in that one room, there's no windows, nothing, it's just video. So the reward was I was going to get pizzas, wings, whatever, you know, beers, whatever we wanted. So we had it all in the room, everything was set up, and then friggin' firewall <laughs> wouldn't let the UFC be played. Fucking, oh, like, like I, I, no, listen, I spent, <laughs> I spent from 7 o'clock when, when the thing was there, uh, I actually said Bernie had to go out and get the uh, get the pizzas because I couldn't leave the room. I couldn't get the damn then the HDMI cable, ESPN sent a spike now or Disney through it. Oh, then we, we finally got it going, but uh, it was about two hours worth of work, and 
I'm not, you know, as I said, it, it, we got it going. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. It all worked out in the end. Uh, uh, the visual is amazing. Um, I'm sure there might've been a, a few things that were smashed along the way. Now you, if it, weren't my, if, if it was my TV, we wouldn't have been watching UFC on that TV. But the fact that it's AEG property and, and Luke Robitaille got me the, got, got that special room for us to, to, uh, to, to study in. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a whole, I think there might've been a Coke can broken or something, but I, it was, uh, when it's the company dime, you, uh, you really in your, uh, your frustration. <laughs> well, thank you for behaving, I guess. Um, look, your relationship with Rob Blake obviously has been an evolving one through the years. We've talked about this on the program, uh, with you before as well. And how sort of like each year it gets better and better. And I'm just curious, um, you've talked about the differences between Rob and Dean and and what it's like to work under different general managers. What changes, I'm curious, does, does the scouting staff have to make working under a different GM, or is it more just about understanding maybe certain skill sets that it, one GM values over the other one? Well, I mean, there's a general, as I said, there's a different feel right off the bat with, with Rob uh, in charge. And, and, and listen, anyone who's been around Dean in a work environment and Rob in a work environment knows that there's two drastically different managerial styles. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's, that's just, that's life. I mean, you know, one, you know, it's, it's an easier work environment under Rob, um, because some of the chaos isn't there. That doesn't mean it's better. It doesn't mean it's worse. It, it just means it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I said, you know, Lula Morello manages differently than, than, than anyone else that I've met. And then, then you've got, you know, you've got all these different GMs, sure. you know, throughout the, they all have their different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I really enjoy working under Rob and, and, and our scouts do too. There's a, there's a freedom we get during the year with Rob. Um, and again, I think that's earned. I think we earned that freedom. There was a trust that we, and we didn't get that the first year, but, but there's, there's a trust and, and, and a somewhat, uh, autonomous nature we're allowed to, to work in for, for most of the year. Obviously it's not, you know, there's updates and there's all things like that, but um, it's, I really enjoy the structure. I really enjoy uh, the method, you know, people, I, I people talked about his plan, um, especially on the amateur side, which I, I, I deal with a little more than the pro side and, and the other side. Um, so there's an adjustment because, um, when you have a little more freedom, you have to be careful not to lose your structure, not to lose, you know, whatever you, I, I hate cliches, but you know, in the castaway, the mice will play, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to, you have to be really focused on, you know, not letting them down for that, for that trust. So I think we've done really well there. Um, and then, then it gets to the difference. We scout a little differently. now. We, we do. Um, we emphasize certain traits differently. Uh, our scouting has been evolving since the first day I've been there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think there was a little bit of a time that we got stagnant. I don't think the work effort changed, but the creativity changed. You know, you, you start winning and, and you start thinking that you've built not a better mousetrap, but you've built the best mousetrap, which is a very, you know, it's inherently flawed thinking that. Um, so I think there was a, a period there where we, um, where we thought our model was the, was the model was the end product when it was when, when that's impossible. So I, I like the fact that we've got that creativity going. You know, that with with Rob's freedom, 
comes an ability to, to, to try new things, you know, it, it, it ability to, you know, to experiment. Um, you know, when, when, we, when Dean first took over, there was like a think tank type. Um, I've never worked in an office, but I can picture working at Microsoft or Google or, or Apple in the very, very early days when they were, when it was some spaghetti on the wall stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there was that, that was, was, that was the atmosphere of the first few years of Dean. And, and I find that we have a very similar atmosphere um, in terms of Rob allowing us to, to be creative. And, and again, not everything works, but even when things don't work, you know, uh, we, we, we learn a lot from it. You know, I mean, uh, I, I like it. I, I like the feel. I, I mean, again, I, I, I was, I, 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 I hey, when, when Rob took over, I wasn't sure. Uh, I mean, you know, I'd been with Dean for so long and, 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 and worked and at times thrived under that. I was, I was nervous that, especially my first, my first three or four months with Rob, I struggled with the difference, mm-hmm. but, oh God, it, you know, like, like w- w- same thing. We talk about being flexible and growth minded when I finally relaxed and, and, and allowed myself to, you know, to be flexible and, and, and change. And then similarly with our staff when, when, you know, it wasn't easy for any of us, you know, because we're, we're trying to do different things. We're, we're trying to, as I said, we're trying to build a better mousetrap and, and change is hard. But I like the fact that that, that under Rob's you know guidance structure um, plan, we're allowed to do a lot of these things. And and again, I think you saw it this year. Uh, we never moved like this. We never had the opportunity to move like this. We never, you know, even it, it didn't present itself like it did this year. But even in other years when we had the opportunity, there was always a a little bit of caution, a little bit of, of restriction. And I'm talking going back all the way. So, um, this draft was some of the culmination of, 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 of those experiments kind of leading towards us developing, you know, a, a projection and a, and a, methodolo- a methodology for this, for this draft. You might need that same growth mindset when it comes to vegetables, Yank. <laughs> well, as I said, I've tried that veg- you're, you're assuming that I have been fixed minded and I just don't try them. Okay. I've tried many of vegetables. Um, <laughs> They're not, I don't, you know, they're not good. They, they have, uh, they must have a great lobby in, in, in the government, like the vegetable lobbying thing, because they are, I've tried it, you know, broccoli. Yeah. Wonderful. You know, I'd rather eat dirt and broccoli with cheese. Yeah. That's like dirt with cheese. And then broccoli steamed, broccoli fried. No, it's all terrible. Can I just tell you two things that I would have never expected to hear from you uh, ever? Twitter hashtag, which you dropped in on the call the other night, was funny enough. But now, yeah, yeah, now yeah. talking about the vegetable lobby, um, I would say we could end the interview now with a mic drop moment, but I have too many questions, so we have to keep going. Um, you talk about moving, and I'm curious, the whole quality over quantity concept and attacking the draft, what was maybe, t- tell us a little, you know, take us a peek behind the curtain what was the impetus for that? Is it based on maybe the performance of the Kings prospects this past year? Was it the 2021 draft class? Was that the driving force? Is there, was there something that was like a trigger, uh, you know, other than just the kids that were available this year? You know what? There are, there are, there are a multitude of reasons. Like, listen, I've, I, I've been pretty vocal in how I, I like my, my views on the draft slants more towards the NFL style where there's a lot of movement. Um, I've been fortunate enough to meet with some of those guys and, and discuss their methodology. And, and again, I would say I've adopted a mindset like more similar to that style of draft. Um, 
it's less about valuing players and more about more about valuing slots. But uh, to go forward, our prospect pool being as deep as it is uh, certainly would be the strongest impetus for us being able to enact this strategy. Um, also, analytics come into things. You know, uh, without without boring the shit out of everybody, I mean, you know, a seventh round pick has a certain percentage to play, and it's pretty damn low. Um, and you start saying, if you want a quarter of a point D or a half a point forward, um, you ain't getting them after the midpoint of the second round. It's just that's, you know, I, 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 there are outliers and anomalies everywhere. But if you're looking to get a half a point player after the second round or the midpoint of the second round, you know, you're banking on real low percentages. Even if you're picking, you know, again, Carolina has like the opposite strategy of this right now. And, and, and it'll be real interesting. Obviously, I'm going to study the hell out of that. But um, the fact of the matter, the quality over quantity, it, it's, it's also based, you know, on the fact that if you want these players, you have to get them earlier. Um, so we have a really strong stable. We have a really deep stable. It allows you to make fewer picks. But even, you know, again, that, that was the final straw. That was the final piece that allowed us to do it with comfort, you know, with, without restriction. Um, but I'm, you know, the more I look at this type of strategy, the more I like it. Um, and as I said, it'll be interesting because I think it's going to take four or five years to figure out uh, if one of them, like the Carolina mo- model or our model that we kind of started with now, are better, um, you know, and not just better because they could both be bad and one be better. Like if they're effective and better, you know, if they're efficient and better. So, uh, you know, as I said, we've been working on this for a while. We've run our model. We, we, we like that. And especially for this draft, you know, uh, with uncertainty in this draft. I mean, that, that, that was probably the final piece, right? This draft is so much uncertainty in it that people you know when things get uncomfortable you kind of revolve back to what you know what what you're really sure of what you're really comfortable with and we thought we knew some players really really well um we really blanketed the draft we 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 our coverage in this we, we were really proud of our coverage in this draft and we thought that the best way to do it would be to go out and get the guys that that really you know, for lack of a better term, it really wowed us in that in that coverage we made. And then, you know, like again, you go back to Carolina, they figured they they do the opposite in an uncertain draft, they'll make as many picks as possible. So each each method I, I like each method. I just like the fact that we had you know, we we, we we had a few guys targeted with the first round pick and we had the ability to move up and get the ones we wanted. Um or stand pat. And then with the second round, third round, you know, I love the fact that we had we had six guys targeted. Yeah, and again, you have to be realistic. You know, you know. Listen, we could have said, "Yeah, we're targeting McTavish with our second round pick." That's just stupid. But um, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, we could say we could take the other way too. I mean, I could say we had six guys targeted, and they're all seventh round guys, and we got them all. You know, you know, great day for you guys. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we had six guys. We were realistic in the areas we need to go to get them. Uh, we were realistic in the value of what they are. And we and we got four. There was no chance. I mean, we got three of them. Um, if you take Clark and, and the first round pick out of it, uh, you know, if we had sat there and and didn't, you know, and didn't move up, uh, we would have gotten one one of the three, I think. And I can't guarantee we would have gotten one of the three. But I, you know, the problem is we would have gotten one of the three, but it would have been 
earlier than we got him anyway. So, um, you know, I, I just I love I loved how the strategy played. I loved how you know we were realistic in in our expectations and and we were methodical. I like that too because there was a time there was a time when there was emotion at that table when, when one of the teams who we had agreed to a deal with for all intents and per, oh, I guess I'll, I'll try not to swear, but you know they asked us. You know they 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 pulled the trade off when when it was agreed to and we were calling the league. So. Now all of a sudden you, you got the guy right there and you're ready to get him, and all of a sudden now you you, you know now you throw, throw two third round picks at him throw three, you know throw this at him you know and then we 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 paused we 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 took a breath and we looked at our models and we said okay all right target this team target this team all right we got to be in this group to get him and then we did that was this year oh god this year never had two teams this year um, we had agreed to deals with. Uh, and uh, and they backed out at the last minute. One of the teams, which really pissed me off, um, you know, I hope they're listening. Uh, one of the teams, nah, I shouldn't say that. Uh, one of the teams, it's just, again, there's a certain way to do business and a certain way not to, I think. You know, mm-hmm. when, when two parties agree to something, um, it should be binding. Mm-hmm. But, you know, until the, until the ink on the paper, it's not. But one of the teams called us... Um, before the second round started, asked if we had interest in their picks. We said, yes, absolutely. Said, okay, we've got to make sure our guy's there. They've got to make sure their guys are gone. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. Then as it got closer to their picks, um, I called the, the team and spoke to their, their general manager. You know, just making sure, doubling back, we have a couple of other deals. You know, he goes, nope. He goes, we're still evolving. He goes, he goes uh, you know, circle back to me at this exact pick, which was, which was five picks before their picking so that we can hammer out the details, you know, I circled back, Rob uh, and I presented the offer. Uh, they needed a second to consider it. Obviously, they're seeing if they could get a better deal from someone else. That's normal. Nothing wrong there. They came back to us. They said, yep. Um, said that, you know, you guys, that's the best offer we're in. Make the call. It's pick blank. And as we're making the call, they call us back, say, we're going to pick. Oh. Well, here's the thing we had a deal with the team behind them. We no longer had that deal. Mm-hmm. Now we're trying to scramble to talk to the team behind them, but now the team behind them's picked. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and we had deals, you know, sequentially with a couple of teams behind them that we didn't, you know, and, and now you're trying to get those deals done, but now other teams are making deals and they've got other offers and, you know, you pulled out and there's some, so it, it was, it was a nightmare scenario because we really, you know, you know, we had, we had moved up once, you know, as I said, we had moved up once and gotten, by all rights, a player who shouldn't have been there. And then, you in know, Pinelli, we're working on... In Pinelli, we're talking about. Yeah, in Pinelli. Yeah, nobody and, expected you know, him to be there. No, no one did. No one did. And again, you got that cliched stuff of, geez, we never thought this guy'd be here. We never, well, that was a, that, that's a big-time outlier based on any list. So mm-hmm. I don't feel cliched in saying that getting Pinelli, uh, what did we get him, 42? Um, yeah, he should have should have gone in the top three picks in the second round. I mean, that was... Nobody expected well, him to be there. I'm saying when you open the morning, the yeah, when yeah. You, when you started oh, the yeah, morning, yeah. nobody nobody expected him to fall to where you guys were going to have access to get him. He would he should have been gone long gone. No, but we did put in a plan for him. Um, as I said, I, I, I we, we talked last uh, that night. Uh, Tony was in the room. Teddy, uh, Chris Byrne, uh, Christian Roots were all in the room with Rob and 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 uh, Nelson Emerson and and uh, and the other guys and. Uh, we said, listen, this guy's not going to fall to where we can get him. But 
he certainly wasn't going to fall out of the first round either. So, you know, it might be, a, you know, an effort in futility, but why not put together something where if he starts falling past another number where we now can get, which, you know, again, we, we tried to get 39, um, and, and Ottawa didn't want to part with 39, but they were willing to move 42. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously they had the stake. They had a similar Canelli that they didn't want to take a chance on the 42 with 39. Um, so we said, well, we want 39, but you know, if he doesn't go, so we'd already had a deal for 42, um, when they were picking at 39 and then Canelli kept, you know, he was there. So the deal, the deal happened. I'll tell you what, we just filled up the entire second period. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll jump into draft strategy and some other questions here with Mark and Eddie, our special guest on Kings of the Podcast. We'll be back in a minute right after the break. Someone else will break your heart. I never gonna hold you back. I'm always gonna have your back. So try to remember that. I hope you're happy. I hope you're good. I hope you get what you wish for. Okay. Welcome back. Third period, Kings of the Podcast. We still have Mark Yanetti, King's Director of Amateur Scouting here. We're going through a whole list of questions. And by the way, thanks so much for your time today. Always appreciate you coming on and, and giving us you know, some insight and sharing some thoughts with us. Uh, I want to wrap up with a couple of player points. But before I do, back to the draft strategy in general. Did, did the You talk about uh, having good coverage. Did the interviews with players this year weigh into the process, perhaps, you know, uh, more heavily than it did in years past just because of COVID and not having access to watching as many games and whatnot. Did the interviews become more important this year or no? I'm not sure I'd say they became more important. Um, certain interviews, you know what? There were certain interviews that became of tantamount importance. Uh, but I don't know that it was due to, I wouldn't say it was due to COVID. Uh, we had, you know, if, if you want to talk about the eighth pick, there were three interviews that were Four interviews. I apologize. Let me just go. Let me. Just, I gotta think it in my head. You know, I'm sorry. I'm doing my counting on my fingers. There were four interviews of players in the top of players in our top eight that were of tantamount importance because each one of those players we had a specific concern or um, an almost like, like again concern would be the wrong word for some of them, but can this guy be as much of a culture guy as he's portrayed to be as we think he is? So um, we had to, you know, we had to solidify our thinking on one or two guys and say, is it really that high level? Is it really that defining uh, a culture aspect? And then there were one or two others um, or three others that, okay, there's one specific thing we have questioned on this player. And he needs to convince us that we're right or wrong about it. Um, and three, two of those interviews were specific to that. One was really, really hard and uncomfortable, and I didn't enjoy it. And I and I, and, and I almost felt guilty, um, but not enough to not do it. I mean, it's it's too important. A, it's too important a decision. And and the player we talked to handled it really well. He was well. Let's just put it with. There were a few people on the staff who had no concerns. There were a few people on the staff who had big concerns. When we came out of that meeting, um, the player had solidified his position on the list, and no one had a concern. So 
to say that that player dealt with a, a very hard and comfortable interview uh, well would be an understatement. Yeah, I loved your quote from the other night, by the way, about these are million dollar decisions. Um, and sometimes our interviews are like interrogations. Uh, that was that was fantastic. We did have Brant Clark on the program the other day and uh, talk with him a little bit about that and how you guys called him back uh, and, and had presented him with some tape to break down and things like that. We know a lot about Brant Clark. I mean, not nearly as much as you guys do, of course, but over the last 72 hours, perhaps we've we've come to learn a lot about him, not only having him on the program, we've put some scouting reports together and whatnot, but you guys really dug in. And I would say that one of the concerns that pops up in some of the reports on him would be this perceived immaturity. And I'm just curious how you respond to that when it comes to, to Brent Clark. We all know the positives, but how do you, uh, can, you know, how would you react to that, that issue, if you will? Well, it was hard to get to know him. I mean, the kid never, he, he never says a word. It's, you know, he never, he never even opens his mouth in an interview. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it took 50, 60 times just to get him to say hello. Uh, sure no. did. You know, uh, see, I don't know. There's this perception that immaturity is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, would, I, would I love every single kid, uh, I mean, to be, well, to be Kyle Clifford in terms of his focus and direction and work ethic. And, and, and accountability, yeah, that'd be wonderful. Um, but as it turns out, I've met one Kyle Clifford in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so immature, like again, these are 17, 18 year old kids. Like the definition of their lives should be that they're immature. Mm-hmm. Now, there are certain types of immaturity that are, that are okay. And certain, you know, when you get into entitlement, when you get into a lack of accountability, now it transcends immaturity into other areas of character. But again, this is he immature? Absolutely. Is he fun? Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Is he yappy? Yeah, but but again, I don't I don't know. I don't want to build a team of robots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, this kid is passionate, and and when and he's supremely passionate, mm-hmm. and he's confident, and he might be supremely confident too. When you when you when you take the ingredients and you add seventeen years old to passionate and confident, um, you're going to get. Immaturity. I mean, you're going to get, you know what I mean? You're mm-hmm. going to, you're going to get that element. Um, but it's in my experience that guys are passionate about things, work really hard to achieve those goals. Guys that are confident, you know, are willing to, to do things that are hard are willing to do things that, that guys that are not confident kind of shy away from, you know, if you're confident, you, you know, listen, if you're confident, you're not afraid to work on your deficiencies. Mm-hmm. If you're not confident, it's very hard to do that because now you're exposing yourself in front of people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not passionate, you don't, as I said, the, the, the biggest successes, I mean, Drew, Drew was thought of as, as immature as draft year. Mm-hmm. More, more, you know, I mean, again, there were people that had Drew out of the top six, top seven. I mean, everybody, you know what, all this, I, I love all this revisionist history. Go back and look at everybody's comments and everybody's statements about Drew as draft year. Mm-hmm. You know what? Because there's a lot of crow for people to eat. Um, the fact that everyone acknowledges that he was the consensus number two pick, you know, after Norris Trophy, Stanley Cups, and gold medals, should take a look at what they read a long time ago because they're fucking delusional. I love um, you know, <laughs> Drew's, Drew's passion and, and, and stuff was not regarded, uh, and his drive was not regarded nearly to the level it should have been by a whole lot of people. And, and again, Drew doesn't spend his life proving people wrong. That's not what he is, but Drew has pride and mm-hmm. Drew has passion. And there's a reason Drew is what he is. And there's a reason that Drew is the best player to come out of that draft class and a whole lot of other draft classes ever. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
again, you know, passion and maturity, as long as it's channeled the right way, you know, and again, that means there's more room for this kid to grow too. Don't forget. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we certainly, we certainly were not scared off by the perceived immaturity. We, we, I don't know. I talked to this kid. I love talking to him. I love it. Was, I would agree I with you, actually. Best, the the energy you know? just comes through. And again, don't forget, you know, this kid's talking a mile a minute. And you're wondering, you know, can he slow it down? Can he process? You know, take a look at the tape when he makes a, a three progression read like Manning or Brady. You know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. and he does it and he does it real quick. Like we had to break down the tape. You know, again, he wasn't he, he wasn't speaking slow, but he was slowing down. He's explaining things, you know, when, when, when he needed to when he needed to dial it down a notch, he did. You know, he can be introspective. He can he can look at things and evaluate and not just snap out a word. You know, he's looking at the thing. He's like, okay, this is what I saw. And the reason I did A is because player B moved here. So I shift, you know what I mean? And he goes to a, a, a nine progression thing on a, on a seven to 10 second video clip. Uh, you know what? That tells me you can slow it. That tells me you can slow it down when you Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going long with you, but I, I can't let you, I can't, oh, thank you. I appreciate your time. Uh, I, we can't let you run though, without talking about the two other players. We touched a little bit on Pinelli there. We talked about Clark, obviously, but Hellenius, you mentioned, and it, it certainly raised a lot of eyebrows. You mentioned immediately following the draft that you see him as a potential three C and, uh, on top of that, then, you know, I saw some of the, the chatter online, which is, it's, it's hard to ignore, even though I try, uh, of negativity and, it and things. Possible, it, 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 it is. And some, some of the people, you know, just really clearly they don't have the, the level of expertise that the professionals do, like you and, and all the other, you know, scouts, not only for the Kings, but even just across the board, right? Um, and yeah, it may, but it doesn't mean they don't get an opinion. Well, everybody gets an opinion. Everybody has an opinion, but some some opinions are more educated than other opinions. How about that? Um, yeah, this is <laughs> this is the one that I uh, that just it struck a chord. It struck a nerve with me. Uh, somebody was complaining about the pick and saying, "Hey, that's not a sexy pick." And I was like, "Man, I just don't get that because winning is sexy." And in talking to anybody about this player, and and you know the level of research that I do, I talk to a lot of people about this guy in the you know twenty four hours after you guys picked him. This kid is what winning teams have. Obviously, you guys were high on him. You moved up to get him. Um, what do you what do you make of people who want to knock his creativity or question the pick and and that sort of stuff when it comes to Hellenius? Well, again, if you're looking for a reason to, to knock a pick, you'll find it. I mean, any any this uh, this isn't directed. Any idiot can find a reason to criticize somebody, mm-hmm. right? I mean, again, it's funny because uh, I, I just saw this. Event. My mom had sent me a poem a while ago about the man in the arena, you know, and and it's a great poem. Look it up. But but the critic who's not putting himself on the line is you, you know it, it, it's really cool. But um, you can find reasons to, to like or dislike anything. Uh, Saying a pick isn't sexy. Well, I I don't know. That's a that's a that's a pretty lame reason for me. A, a pick pick doesn't have to be sexy. Like here, is the Matt Deniers pick sexy? Other than the fact that he's going to help the team win a Stanley Cup someday, maybe like that's pretty sexy to me. You know, is he as sexy as Eklund? Is he as sexy as Johnson? Is he as sexy? Is he as sexy as Hughes? Like I don't think Matt Deniers is as sexy as those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a reason he was picked second. You know, and it's a fucking really good reason. Um, so for me, listen, here's the thing. There's a lot of things that go into pick. You have to pick the best player available. You have to do that. However, at the end of the day, you're still building a team. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's one thing. It's one thing we really got right with team with building a team. Like, was was Dwight King a sexy pick? Was Martinez 
a sexy pick. I mean, I, I can start going down the line of, you know, people don't even know who Voinoff was when we picked him. Was that a sexy pick? I mean, I don't know. Is trading for Jarrett Stoll sexy? Well, Jared Stoll is sexy. I mean, we but that's a different program. Well, we don't talk about Jared Stoll, the man. Okay, like, he's like he's like the Dos Equis commercial guy. But I'm just talking about. I'm, I get yeah, it. That's different. Like I'm separating Jared Stoll, the man. I'm just saying, was he was it a? I mean, again, people want you to go out and get Kovalchuk and and Richards. You know, and all Jared's helping us do is win two Stanley Cups. Like, yeah. like, like. So for me, you know, you, you got to take a step back. You got you got to say, honey, you know. You know, I, I said this before. I mean, if you go one, two, three down the middle with with, with Kopitar, Byfield, and Hellenius, where's the relief? Mm-hmm. I, I said that. I said that. I mean, my God, like, like, what, what, what do you do if you're another team? Like, go ahead, figure out a game plan. Like, how do you? Boom! It's just an assembly line of, 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 you know. Again, you got elite talent and elite ability in, in Kopitar and 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 uh, and Byfield. And then throw in the fact that they're monsters. Uh, Kopitar is a little bit more of a strength-based, you know, dish, and 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 then Byfield's a explosive. When when his skating's all said and done, he's just going to run over the top of you. And now you've dealt with those two. Here comes this kid. This kid competes at a high, high, high level. He's physical. He's heavy. He he's under sticks. Um, you know, oh, Andy's six foot six. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he's got a good technical skating stride. Now, is his speed up to par yet? No. Is his, you know, he's six foot six and he's eighteen years old. Guess mm-hmm. what? No one's it. But you watch him. This kid's skating is above average in terms of how he gets around the ice in the league. Well, that's a pretty damn good league, and it's not a slow league. Um, what's his skating going to be like in three years? I mean, it's already it's already good enough to be in one of the top five leagues in the world mm-hmm. as a, as a young kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, now you got now now it allows you some flexibility elsewhere. I mean, you got all these pieces, uh, you know, all these products, you know, like well, where's the second line wing? Well, I can tell you where the second line wing is because if he ain't playing center, he's playing second line wing. <laughs> like like you know, they're elite play- These these elite guys are going to be elite whether they're playing second line center or second line wing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and again, you know it's. I love, I love, the, I love the Honius pick. He was a guy we targeted. Um, he has all the attributes of character and stuff. And then throw in the fact, you know, again, people people mistake that for lack of skill, for lack of ability, for lack of playmaking. I mean, the kid's got a rocket shot. His numbers in the league are pretty good, considering he was an 18 year old playing third line minutes. Uh, you know, two goals in the World Juniors, and if anybody watches those two goals, I mean, the puck comes off the stick. Comes off the stick really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got, you know, as I said, you're not counting on third line players to, you know, to make a third progression read after they delay and open up two seams and then deceive the defenseman into moving to his left and then going against the grain back. That's not what third line players do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he he's gonna, as I said, I think he's gonna create secondary offense. Um, I think he's got a very good shot and. He is going to be very hard to play against, and he's going to wear guys down. And the coach of Team Finland loves him. He's already talking about him uh, as as a potential NHL player as well, and he'll be expected to play uh, at the World Juniors again for Team Finland. Yeah, I hope we get an unsexy guy who played in the World Juniors um, and played real and played minutes, not just sat there on the bench every single year. I'll take I'll take an unsexy World Junior caliber <laughs> player as a as a draft year player 
every year. I'm pretty proud of myself. I, I, I went from having you in a giddy mood at the beginning to now kind of getting under your skin a little bit. Ah, I just, I, well, again, I, I, I don't, like, like, part of the problem is, that, like, you can't get away from the social media, right? Nobody can. You, you know, listen, I'm trying, Yank. I'm really myself. trying. I'm really trying. Oh, I told myself I'm not going to look at it, you know? <laughs> and, and again, and of course, every everyone on the planet looks at it. Now, some people focus on it and obsess. And, okay, that's, that's a, but, but again, and again, I don't mind looking at it, you know, but these kids read it too, like, you know, and, and the, I don't know. I think the problem for me is some people seem to really enjoy negativity. So true. And they really enjoy, like, like listen, I, you know, I'm critical of myself sometimes. I'm critical of my staff. My Bernie's critical of me. You know, we, we can critique each other. There's no negativity when we do it. Like, you know, you know, if there's a shortcoming, you know, hey, listen, if I have a shortcoming, I want to know about it. Sure. Um, but, you know, I don't take fucking, I don't take, I don't take glee in pointing out a negative attribute to anybody. It's, it's like the interviews. Like, you know, I've said the interviews can be an interrogation and it's too important. And it is. Do you think I take pleasure in being hard on a kid no. or, I mean, it sucks. I can hate it. Yeah. You know, um, you know, there's no, you know, and, 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 and I, I don't want to do it. But as I said, there's just too many people out there that, that sincerely enjoy um, being negative, that sincerely, that, that again, they get giddy mm-hmm. in, in being able to, it seems like, oh, I'll take someone down a notch for no other reason. I, I can't imagine why. Like, as I said, critic, you know, criticism and, and critical thinking and, and, and stuff like that. And hey, first of all, everybody, you know what? People are entitled to be a negative too if they want. I find no value in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it's just some of those things do. They, some of those things, I don't want to say they get under my skin, but, you know, I, I do feel defensive when I read. Listen, if someone wants to critique Grant Clark, the player, and said, "Listen, I noticed when he was playing there was a shortcoming here," or "I noticed that this lack of uh, this deficiency affected him here," right? Or they want to talk about Pinelli. You know, I noticed when he went to the middle that he didn't do this, or you know, or, or Hellenius. You know, I think as far as you know, he goes, he had secondary whatever. Fine. You know, if you want to break it down and you want to debate it and you want to say. You know, this is why I feel that way. That's constructive. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, I, I, I see no fault in that. But yeah, I, I do. I get pissed off when I read, not because I'm worried about you know, oh, they, they, you know, uh, Joe from Montana didn't think it was a good pick. Um, you know, more worried that you know, kid reads it and they, you know, I mean, I, again, some I, I read somewhere that someone called one of the I won't, it wasn't one of the guys we drafted, but but someone called the guy a slug. Now. It was on Twitter. Like it wasn't just a, a fan. Like someone had called. You know, mm-hmm. I don't get it. I, yeah. You know, there's certainly you it, know what, do, it does impact. Not, it does impact them. You know, them as well. Akil Thomas had had told me, uh, got about a year ago or so. Maybe it's been longer now that he just got off of Twitter. Like he he deleted the app and everything. He just said, I can't deal with the negativity that people, if, if I have a bad game, you know, uh, I would go on there to sort of, you know, relax and just catch up and see what's going on. And just, it's part of my routine or whatever, but I've just, I'm bombarded with negativity about stuff. And, and then, it, and then it gets into my brain and I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I know that I had a bad game and I know what I need to do to make that correction before the next game. And so as much as he enjoyed seeing positive things that people would write about him, you know, like after scoring the, the gold medal, uh, you know, the, the goal in the, in the gold medal game for Canada, as much as he likes to see or hear that stuff because it's good for the ego right he just couldn't deal with all the negativity and said he had to get away from it isn't that tragic though like 
uh, it means that a kid, that a, that a 17, 18, 19 year old kid has to get off Twitter. It's terrible. It's too much negativity. Yep. I, I don't know. Um, I guess, I guess, you know, I, again, I picture a, an ancient, uh, you know, an alien race looking at us or, 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 or society looking at us in 2000 years saying that we had this wonderful technological tool and people used it to be negative and post cat video. Let's get the train back on the tracks then so we can wrap this interview up. So we covered Fair the first enough. three. Then you have, uh, I guess I'm going to be negative though in my question. Uh, we have uh, Kirill Krasanov, this the defenseman, and you were saying that in two years you think he's going to be NHL ready. Uh, and I'm curious, how much does playing against men factor into projecting a player when they are at, you know, sort of at this age? Huge. Yeah. Um, you, you know, as I said, and, and, and when I say he could be ready in two years. That's that's the best case scenario of a normalized projection. Like mm-hmm. it's not, you know, you know, I'm not sitting here. It's like it's not the one percent chance, but based on previous things, it's the best case of what we what we see happening, right? So I think two years. I mean, he's played one year in the KHL, and he did it, you know, again as, as a as a as a draft year player, and I think and, and he played well. And then he went to the World Juniors, and you could argue if he wasn't their D one at the World Juniors, he was their D two. Um, you know, you, you see him adjusting, uh, and then uh, you, you look at the level of play. You look at people that come out of there. If he continues on his trajectories on now, two years seem like a realistic. You know, again, two years he's going to play D four. You know, hopefully D four minutes this year, and then the next year he's going to play better than D four minutes. He's going to be in the World Juniors this year. You know, I, I see that's a pretty damn good league, you know, and, and and you've got a lot of, it's a high-speed league. It's a high-skill league. There's plenty of NHL-level players playing in that league. Um, if he can succeed there, he should be able to succeed in, in the NHL. And I, I view two years as a, you know, two more years as a pretty good apprenticeship to come over and be ready to play. Now, that as I said, you know, we can get back to, you know, if you want Russian on Russian, you know, uh, comparisons. Boynoff was good enough to play for us draft year plus one on the LA Kings. No one disputes that. You know, I, I think T-Mac, I think, I think uh, Todd had said, uh, you know, it's not a matter of a player being ready. It's a matter of the team being ready. That's part of it. And then it's a part of the final part is, is he ready but between can he play there? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You see a lot of guys go up and tread water and, and they can they can survive at the NHL level, but you don't want to bring a guy up to have him survive at the NHL level. So, you know, as I said, he'll be. I, 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 we as a staff sincerely believe in two years he'll be ready to come over and play in the NHL. Um, that being said, you know, is there some nuance? Is he is he ready a little before that? Does he need a couple? Of, you know, does he need a, a quarter of a year in the AHL? Is he ready to step in? Um, that's when you have to put aside the projection and do what's best for the player. But based on, based on what we've seen in the past, based on metrics, based on all that, we do think two years is a realistic, uh, a realistic, uh, development path. All right. And even given all the challenges with getting players out of Russia and coming over, and I would even say perhaps a lack of success outside of Voinov, uh, with Russian players, you still feel comfortable going into that pool of potential players. Yeah. Comfortable is a relative word. I mean, you know, if he was playing for the Kitchener Rangers, I'd feel a whole lot more comfortable. You know, if his name was, you know, if his name was John Smith and he had a North American passport, passport, it's the level of comfort higher. I mean, I mean, again, here are the facts. I mean, the facts of the KHL is 
is, is, is a benchmark league, a high-level league. If you want to test yourself and you want to play against great competition, it's that. Um, the second fact is that this home, every, you know, talk about me. I don't want to leave my house now. Um, guys are comfortable in their home. Guys, mm-hmm. why did guys from Toronto want to go back and play in Toronto? And, you know, guys from New York want to play in New York. I mean, everybody wants to play it in their home. And then you throw in the fact that he plays for arguably, if not the best, one of the, one of the top teams to play for there, both in how they're treated in, in the culture of the team and ska. Um, yeah, it, it certainly gives concern, but this is also a kid we've talked to. I and mean, this kid wants to measure himself against the best people in the world. You know, whether it's cliche or not, you know, one of our interviews with him, unsolicited, you know, we, we said, you know, what, what are your goals? Because a lot of guys have different goals. I mean, you can talk to a kid from Minnesota and his goal is to win a state championship. You can talk to a guy, you know, a, a regular U.S. kid, his goal, his goal is to win the national title. Talk to a kid from the Prairies in Canada, he wants to win a Stanley Cup. You know, a lot of times you talk to a European player, they want to win an Olympic gold. And that's a great thing. I mean, I want, you know, I mean, again, you want guys to want to win that, but, you know, he wants to win a Stanley Cup. You know, that was the first thing. It was, he didn't have time to think about it. He, you know, he, he snapped off the answer. Um, so he wasn't searching for the answer he wants, you know, the team wants to hear. You know, he snapped it off. Uh, and he said it in English, you know, which, you know, like that, you know, we did most of the, we did most of the uh, interview in Russian, but, you could tell he understood some things and he rattled that one off like bang. Like mm-hmm. it, was, it seemed like it seemed to us like it was sincere. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to win a Stanley Cup, there's only one place to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have some comfort. So again, nothing certain, but he certainly was worth the risk associated with it at that point. All right. Two fast ones to wrap up then. Uh, earlier, circling back to something you said, there were two players in that tier. Obviously Clark was one. That's the player you went with. I'm assuming that Eklund was the other player in that top tier. Oh yeah, more than half. You know if you can if you can get a video thing, I'll show you our list, and then everyone can see it. <laughs> I tried. I you tried. Know, Give me credit was, for listen, trying. There, listen, we we were there were there were we, you know I'll, I'll let you guys in. We had two tiers of players, mm-hmm. and we wanted to get a player from the first tier, and we wanted to guarantee ourselves. We were guaranteed to get a player from the second tier if we did nothing. And believe me, there were some elite players in that second tier. Um, but there were three players in our first tier, and we were guaranteed to get one of those players, whether we moved up. As we read the draft, if we moved up, it didn't change the fact that we guaranteed. Either way, if we moved up to the first team that was higher or the second team that was slightly lower than them, uh, it didn't change the fact that we were guaranteed one of those players. And it, you know what? Here, at least one of the players was a defenseman, obviously. At least one of the players was a forward. Now you guys can figure out what the third player is. You could be a forward, a D, a goalie. You know, have at it. All right. How about it? All right. I, ha- I have my predictions of where I think the list, uh, how, th- how the players were ranked within those tiers. That's on Mayor's Manor. People can read that. Last one then would be, we're going to tee you up for the next time you're coming back. I already have two new episodes booked with you. One is prior to the oh, World wonderful. Juniors, and the next one we're going to bring you on to talk about the 2022 draft. That'll be like next week. You'll be ready for that, right? Absolutely. Okay. So on the world junior front, uh, this is, this is the parting question. Do you get excited when LA has like 10 prospects? And I don't, I don't mean as a reward for your hard, hard work and effort and countries are recognizing the players that you picked. What I mean is when you go to the world juniors, is it more exciting when there are 10, you know, 10 LA Kings playing, or is it actually more of a challenge because it's more difficult to focus and watch those individual projects, uh, prospects. Well, uh, it, first, first it's more distracting. Like, like having a player, you know, it's funny. Try to scout, like try to scout a team that is playing the LA Kings or the Ontario Reign. Like I, 
every time I try to scout the opposing team when they're playing one of our teams, you know, I get halfway through the period or five minutes in, I'm like, shit, I forgot to watch the other guy. I forgot to watch the other guy. <laughs> like, like, no, I'm serious. Like, sure. Because you know, you're watching Akil do something, or you're watching Quentin, or you're watching Turcotte, or you're watching Callie. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many guys, and you're like, you know, you, like, it's weird. Like, I, I never, before I did amateur scouting, I, I, I didn't, I never felt ownership. You know what I mean? Like, even when you're pro scouting and trading for a guy that's a bit more mercenary. So, um, it was a weird thing that I didn't realize until after we drafted um, our first class, I got weirdly protective or, and sometimes angsty or anxious when, when our guys were playing. It's weird. Um, so it's hard, the more, you know, it's hard to not watch your players wherever they are. So it certainly is distracting when you have players, at the world juniors. Um, that being said, I get wicked excited. You know, I, you know what? There's a fan in me too. There's a, there's a, it's a whole bunch of things. It's a validation, first of all. Like, where's the initial validation you can get? The, the initial validation you get is the guy plays right in the NHL from day one. That's unrealistic and, and ultra rare. So where's the second validation? Well, the second validation is he's selected to be in the World Juniors. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's a reason they say, hey, this team had 10 guys in the World Juniors and they have the best work prospect pool. This team had one guy in the World Juniors and they don't have a good prospect pool. I mean, it's, it's a measuring stick. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's a measuring stick and a validation of, of some of the work we've done. Now again, it's not be all end all because Tyler Foley never made the World Juniors. How that happened, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But but again, it's not it's not all of it. But it certainly is. You know, it, it's it, yeah. I get I get excited for a whole bunch of reasons. The fan in me gets excited. The evaluator in me gets excited. Uh, the person who wants to you know keep his job gets excited. Um, you know, all of that stuff factors into it. But when you're there watching the game, it is actually expression. All right. There you go. Extended interview with uh, the smartest men in hockey. Mark Yanetti, Yank, we appreciate you coming on. Can't wait to talk to you again next week. We'll do a full breakdown of the 2022 <laughs> NHL draft. Sound fun? Perfect. I got two more guys to watch. Then. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks again to Mark Yanetti for joining us here in this extended edition of Kings of the Podcast. Thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in as well. We appreciate it. And we will be back in the coming days with another episode of KOTP. But until then, have a great week, everybody. Winners and losers Turn the pages of my life We're beggars and choosers With all the struggles and the strife